0: All right, thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Prime Time. We are seeing right now in real time what a president can do when his party refuses to check him. He just named a head of national intelligence who has not a day of experience in the field. Think about that: not in intelligence, not in national security, not in the military. He also pardoned political friends who are clearly corrupt, and he may do the same for Roger Stone. But we have a juror from that case who's here to set the record straight. What do you say? Let's get after it. The president who once agreed no one is above the law, now post impeachment, says he is in control of all law. I'm actually, I guess, the chief law enforcement officer of the country. He has to guess. And guess what? He guessed wrong. The attorney general is our country's chief law enforcement officer, but you didn't hear Bill Barr say anything about the president taking his control because Trump is right in this way. He controls this attorney general in a way that we have not often seen, from softness on stone to stonewalling on Mueller to accusing his own agency of spying on Trump. Don't believe this noise about Barr's frustration. He is all about loyalty to one man President Donald J. Trump. And you know what? Now it seems like Trump doesn't even need Barr because he just showed us he can just pardon obvious corruption. Eleven pardons or commutations to a string of white-collar criminals and political allies, including the American poster boy for corruption, Rod Blagojevich. And guess what? Today, Blago
1: kissed the ring. We uh, want to express our most profound and everlasting gratitude to President Trump. How do you properly thank someone who's given you back the freedom that was stolen from you? I'm a Trumpocrat.
2: The Trumpocrat, that's right.
0: Fealty, says Blago. The Trumpocrat, what is that? That's like a breed more rare than a jackalope. The Trumpocrat is the one on the left. The jackalope is the one on the right. Now, this governor, remember, was impeached 114 to 1. Talk about bipartisan approval. Then he was prosecuted for straight-up corruption. Why? He was trying to shake down a children's hospital charity. He literally wanted to sell Barack Obama's vacant Senate seat.
1: If I get nothing back from Obama, then um, I'm going in another direction. You know what I'm saying? I've got this thing, and it's golden. And I'm just not giving it up for
0: nothing. So Trump today argues via tweet that Blago, he he didn't sell the Senate seat. Nothing happened. Yeah, nothing happened because he was caught in the attempted bribe. Sound familiar? Of course it is. Trump doesn't see this as corruption by Blago and others. And if he does, that doesn't mean it's wrong. And yet he wants you to think he is the world's greatest anti-corruption crusader. And his next cause, Roger Stone. First, Trump said the sentence was too harsh. Guess what? The attorney general lessened it. Now he's hinting that the case was rigged. But you know what? We have someone here tonight to tell you no way. Juror number three, speaking out for the first time about the president's stone cold attack on the case he helped decide. Mr. Cousins, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you guys deliberated for eight hours on the Rogers Stone case. What was your sense in the room? I've read your op-ed, but for the audience, uh, was this a very hard decision for the jury on these seven counts?
3: I would say in general it was not. There was one particular count and one particular element of one count that we spent probably half the time uh, debating. But uh, I would say for the most part, we came to a unanimous conclusion on each element and each charge pretty quickly and pretty easily.
0: Now there is a new debate. The president says something funny here, funny uh, way this was prosecuted, funny the way uh, the jury was. One of the juries seems to be a Democrat uh, who was the foreperson. You seem to not like the president in your op-ed. Was this rigged?
3: This was not rigged, no, sir.
0: How uh, can you make people confident of that fact? The president says it was. There's no way that he should have been convicted for what he did. What do people need to know? Sure. Well, Chris, I think the most important thing that people need
3: to know is that we followed a very rigorous process as a group, as a jury group. We looked at every element of every single charge, and we looked into the evidence. We tried to construct uh, reasonable alternative explanations. And only when all of that failed did each of us individually make the decision. To vote guilty and to decide that each element in
0: each charge had in fact been proven. Did you pick up on the four persons' political proclivities in terms of how uh, they handled the position and the deliberations?
3: No, absolutely not. Uh, The the irony here is that Tamika Hart, who we elected as our four person on a secret ballot, uh, Tamika actually was perhaps the strongest advocate in the room for a rigorous process for the rights of the defendant and for making sure that we, that we took it seriously and looked at each charge. Without her in the room, we would have returned the same verdict and we would have returned it more quickly and without looking as deeply into the evidence. I'm firmly convinced of that.
0: Hmm. It's an interesting counterpoint. In general, uh, how does it make you feel that the president is basically questioning the motives of a jury of peers? Chris,
3: I'm appalled, honestly. Um, I think it's appalling for the president to be attacking American citizens for fulfilling their duties to our republic. Um, and further, I think the the actions of the president and of the attorney general uh, called, I don't know, they cast doubt on the the bedrock of the equal administration of justice that is just so, so important to our country. Um, I think he damages our democracy by attacking this way, and I wish he would stop.
0: What's your sense right now about having learned about Roger Stone and his relationship with the president, do you have an uneasy feeling that this wasn't about justice, that he's going to get out of this?
3: Well, my understanding is that the president has the ability to pardon anyone for anything at any time. Pretty much. Uh, So if, honestly, if that's the end game, I wish he would just go ahead and do it now um, rather than continuing these baseless attacks.
0: If he were to pardon Roger Stone, would that meet any definition of fairness to you? No, certainly not fair. Legal, perhaps, but not fair.
3: Why? Um, Well, Roger Stone, we we convicted Roger Stone, uh, not of his politics. We didn't convict him of acting borishly. We convicted him of obstructing a congressional inquiry, of lying in that inquiry, and of, of tampering with a witness who is also meant to, to participate in that inquiry. Um, the getting, getting at the truth of things is a very important thing, and that's one of Congress's fundamental oversight responsibilities, as I understand it. Um, tampering with that, that responsibility, and, and Congress's ability to, to fulfill that responsibility. Uh, it just feels like a dangerous road to me.
0: You sat in that trial and you watched what happened uh, between the parties and the judge. This is now left on Judge Jackson's plate. What sentence to give? What was your sense of the judge?
3: My sense of the judge, Chris, is that she was firm, fair, uh, ran ran a very good process through the courtroom. Of course, we only interacted with her in the courtroom other than after the verdict was rendered, she came back to the jury room to thank us for our service, but through the whole process, from the beginning of jury selection, through the the conduct of the trial and through the conclusion, um, I felt like she was doing a, from my perspective, a very fair job of making sure that the defense was heard, that the prosecution was heard, um, and that we as the jury were getting the information that would help us
0: understand the facts and render a verdict. Seth Cousins, I appreciate your perspective. And I thank you for your service on the jury. It's not easy uh, to get people in there to do the job. Thank you for doing it. Thank you, sir. All right. So there you have it from somebody who was in the room, the truth about the Stone verdict. So here's the proposition. If you want to support Trump, you have to accept that the man who said Ukraine was only about fighting corruption just freed or pardoned a bunch of clearly corrupt guys and is talking the same way about Stone. And guess what? All of this isn't even his most extraordinary move of the week. Wait until we get into his latest appointment with a top GOP watchdog on the Hill. Next. <laughs> Loyalty to the president front and center today after commuting the sentence of Rod Blagojevich, who has now declared himself a Trumpocrat. And he's not the only one being rewarded by the president Tonight, Trump announced that Richard Grinnell, he's the current U.S. ambassador to Germany and staunch Trump loyalist, will replace Joseph McGuire as acting spy chief, the director of national intelligence. They actually don't like being called spies. But this is a stunning change. Let's get some thoughts from Kentucky Republican Congressman James Coleman. Good to have you back on primetime, sir. Thanks for having me. I have no problem with a president picking people uh, who are loyalty, uh, who are loyal to him. Why would he or she, if we ever have a female president, why would you want someone in any position close to you who is disloyal? That's not the issue. The issue is the pedigree. Joe McGuire. All right. You don't want to like him, but he's 30 plus years Navy experience. This is the first time we've ever seen somebody with absolutely no experience except with being loyal to the president in a job as important as this. How do you support it?
4: Well, the ambassador has more experience th- than you state. He's served several presidents. He's, he's been an advisor to uh, people like Mitt Romney, certainly uh, served well in his uh, position as ambassador to Germany. But the president has the authority to to pick anyone he wants, and yes. I think if you look at what's happened with the with the intelligence community over the past three years, this is an entity that needs to be disrupted. And what the president signaled today is he's going to send someone in on a temporary basis uh, to evaluate it and and try to begin the process of disrupting it. We once had. What does that mean, uh, disrupting the
0: Congressman? Because you know. Uh, I I want to understand what you mean by what you think his job is.
4: Well, what we've had with the intelligence community is is just, for example, the FISA abuses. Uh, This is something that a lot of Americans are concerned about. Uh, This was something that uh, when this was granted, when uh, this ability was out there, that that many members in Congress and many Americans uh, were concerned that this would be abused. And I think we saw during the Mueller investigation, Uh, and the genesis of the whole Russia investigation that the FISA warrants uh, were unwarranted. And there has been abuse uh, within the intelligence community. Well, people can read the inspector
0: general's report for themselves, but he certainly didn't find that the warrants were unwarranted. And we must all remember, Congress passed and created the FISA courts as an insulation and as a way, a mechanism of seeing things transparently. But let's not get too in the weeds. Grinnell is going to go into a place where he knows nothing about it. You're right, he worked for Romney, he worked for Governor Pataki in New York. He's never been in the field of intelligence before, and he now is in the job of coordinating all the heads of intelligence. That sounds like a good pick for you.
4: Well, I don't think the president's gonna put a career intelligence bureaucrat in that position. Uh, the president's going to put an outsider in that position uh, clearly he's had a, a difficult relationship with the intelligence community. Clearly a lot of members of Congress, myself included, uh, have a certain bit of distrust. He can't find anybody who likes him that who has
0: experience in the intelligence community or in the military well, I mean, or I mean, in national security you know, the, or in anything. This.
4: Well, I I think the president has a right to pick Grinnell, and uh, I think Grinnell's done a great job as ambassador to Germany, and I think he'll do a good job on
0: a temporary basis in this new position. Why temporary? Why would the president keep skirting the need to confirm somebody? Is it as simple as Grinnell would never get confirmed? Members, obviously, Congressman Comer is in the House. Uh, Even your colleagues in the Senate are talking to reporters and saying this is an issue. So, is it as simple well, as the, you can't get them confirmed, so you make them acting? Is that a good use of power?
4: It's so polarizing in the Senate and in the in the House, but in the Senate, where they do confirmations, that the Senate's becoming a personnel agency. You know, the the, the confirmation process is taking weeks. It's uh, your agency for each position. It's run a, by your people. A week. McConnell runs it. Uh, well, all you need is a simple majority yeah, it, to get him through. It, you need a simple majority, but every senator wants to speak and every senator has an opinion. So you don't trust your own party? A, a week. No, I do trust my own party. And I think Senator McConnell's done a great job uh, through the whole confirmation process. He's confirmed a lot of judges and a lot of people in Kentucky are happy about so that. So he's done a lot but of judges, but
0: he hasn't done enough that you can let him do this?
4: No, he he can do it. It will. He will tell you, I'm sure, that it will take a long time to Uh, confirm all the vacancies that the president has. and The president, quite frankly, is having a hard time filling the vacancies uh, because of what each cabinet secretary and each conferee has to go through once they get confirmed. Not only is the confirmation process brutal, once they get in office and serve as a cabinet secretary, it's a nonstop barrage of negative media reports, nonstop barrage of accusations from Democrat politicians in Washington. It's basically the swamp fighting against the people that the president's put in there to to drain the swamp. So hold on a second. Hold on. That's a good segue, Congressman.
0: I don't understand how without a big, broad smile on your handsome face, you can talk about draining (laughs) the swamp when this president just let some of the biggest alligators in recent political history back into the waters around D.C. How can you say that he's about draining the swamp after he lets go Rod Blagojevich?
4: Well, he's, he is about draining the swamp, he has been draining the swamp. Uh, of How? all the pardons today, the only, uh, of all the pardons today, yes, sir. Chris, the only pardon that, that I would consider uh, a swamp creature would, would have been Blagojevich. But if you really? look at Blagojevich, what he yeah. did, Uh, He served a long time in prison, and many people, uh, myself included, even the Politico story today by the reporter who covered the whole Blagojevich trial, Mm -hmm. said that that was an excessive sentence. And I think here's what a reporter says about the the sentence:
0: It was 114-1 to impeach him. He tried to sell a Senate seat and play with a children's hospital charity. Why, if you were about corruption and draining the swamp, but why would you send the message? That but, you will forgive I, someone the, who did something so corrupt. No. Why?
4: I think the message the president's sending is he's serious about criminal justice reform. And sadly it takes a high profile pardon like Rod Blagojevich to demonstrate the fact that one of the problems uh, with the justice system in America is there are excessive sentences being handed out. For people excessive like Rod Blagojevich? For well, for minorities. On, he's not the poster uh, boy of the problem. Ed DiBartolo, Jr. For
0: high profile. If there's one thing you hear well, about, especially profile. when you go to the inner cities... You know, the people there, they're so upset that DeBartolo got busted for paying that 400 grand to the governor for that riverboat license. They scream no justice, no peace every time you bring up Ed DeBartolo Jr. or one of these other politicians that got caught for graft. Come on, Congresswoman. These people have nothing to do with the problem of sentencing standards. There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people rotting in jail for offenses that are nothing compared to what these men were just forgiven for.
4: I think that the pardons that the president gave today were, were just, uh, you know, Blagojevich was the one that I would consider a political swamp creature. Uh, but at the end of the day, he, he got an excessive
0: sentence. The lobbyist and wasn't a swamp figure. Created DeBartolo, who had the, two the other lobbyist. big football bigs come to plead his case, wasn't one. Bernie Carrick, a man I know and admired for many years, uh, worked for Giuliani, mm-hmm. worked for the government. He's now part of that circle. Come on, Congressman, they're all part of the same dynamic that you said he would be better than, and he's just the same at best. No, I I think that
4: uh, the good thing, the president has the authority to do pardons. Yes, The president is serious about criminal justice reform. Uh, The pardons today will continue the conversation about criminal justice reform, and if the American people uh, are offended by these pardons, they're going to have the ability to uh, choose a new president in November. And the one good thing about these pardons today compared mm-hmm. to previous pardons from previous presidents yes. is the president's transparent about this. And he didn't oh, yes. wait until after the that November election. That is true. He did it today. Uh, he's, he he justified his pardon. That is true. And if the, if the Democrat candidates for president think that they can run a successful presidential campaign based on a pardon. That is true. Blagojevich, after he served eight years in, in prison, they have nothing. more than the you right are to campaign. Right. That.
0: James Comer, you absolutely right. Congressman and I agree about that. This president hides nothing. He does it all in plain sight because he has been completely empowered to do so by your party. He's got nothing to fear. So you're right. We'll see what happens in the election, but one thing for sure, you're always welcome here to make the case. Congressman, thank you.
4: Thank you, Chris, for having me.
0: All right. And my take is this president can be hard to defend, but be aware, he may also be hard to beat. That's what the congressman was talking about. Is Senator Bernie Sanders. The man to do it he now has a double digit lead there are two paths to this answer we have the best on both the professor and the wizard of odds yes together yes next it's true senator bernie sanders is leading the pack of democrats at 28 percent in cnn's poll of polls what is that It's the average of the five most recent national surveys on the race. And with Sanders running strong in Nevada heading into Saturday's caucuses, what can stop him? Is he the only candidate leading a movement? Yes. Could that be the big difference? We'll see. The Wizard of Odds, Harry Enten, is here along with our Professor Ron Brownstein. Gentlemen, thank you both. Harry, make the case that Bernie could be the man.
1: Okay, so, you know, there's all this talk of a ceiling and I get why there's this talk of a ceiling, right? Those late deciders in both Iowa and New Hampshire, he got a much lower vote share of them than he did of the overall electorate. But here's what I think is key, right? Yes, he's in that first place with that 28 percent and he's sort of been hovering in the mid 20s. But add those first and second choice together, right? You get all the way up to 41 percent. That's not the sign to me of someone who has a ceiling. But I think there's one other very key nugget here. You know, NBC News essentially tested Sanders versus two of the leading moderate candidates. Bloomberg and Buttigieg. And what happens when you get down to a Sanders versus Bloomberg matchup? Sanders blows Bloomberg out of the water 57 percent to 37 percent. And against Buttigieg, he leads 54 percent to 38 percent. That, to me, is the sign of someone who doesn't necessarily have a ceiling. And it's not the sign, to me, of someone if, say, all the moderate candidates got together and added their support together. That type of math doesn't really work to me.
0: Uh, Quick note. Notice they didn't even do a matchup with Biden. What does that tell you? Professor, uh, the idea of a ceiling is now looking more like a...
5: Church, cathedral ceiling, <laughs> very
0: high, very high, or not?
5: You know, I, you know I'm, I'm less convinced that, it, that there is 40% on a routine basis for Senator Sanders. I mean, the, the pattern in the first two races has been very clear. He is consolidating the groups that support him to a greater extent than anyone is consolidating the groups that resist him, right? So, I mean, he is winning a very high share of young people in polling here and in California, uh, the very liberal voters. He is going to do well among Latino voters as an asset for him. He has a bigger piece of the pie uh, than any other Democrat at this point. But whether he can really get this to a position where enough of the party is comfortable with him that he is a kind of odds-on favorite. To acquire a first ballot majority, I'm still not convinced. I, I will say to you this: when I go to events for the other candidates, mm-hmm. it is still rare to see anyone who is actively considering Sanders. I mean, there's his right. audience is deep; it is the most passionate in the Democratic race. But I still think there is concerns beyond his audience that he's going to have to see if he can judge. You know, it's going on right behind me? This debate here tonight. Right. You know, the other Democrats are trying to focus on some of those issues more than we've seen before. Yeah,
0: but you know what else you notice when you go to the rallies for the other candidates? Nowhere near as big as his. Are we sleeping on a movement? Bernie is the only one with a movement. Trump was the only one with a movement. Can that be the main factor in pushing him forward?
5: Yeah, I mean, it is different. It is. It, there's no question that Sanders mm. is leading a movement. And and if Democrats nominate him, they will be placing a very large bet on that movement. Because essentially what you're doing is trading known voters for non-voters. I mean, mm. the, the promise of the Sanders campaign is that he can bring in a lot of young people, including uh, non-white young people who are not regular voters or haven't voted at all. And the risk is that you drive away a certain portion of those suburban white-collar white voters who are uh, doing fine economically but don't like Donald Trump and delivered the house to the democrats mm. in 2020 it would ve- i think a sanders nomination would be very much an explicit uh, expression of that precise wages. And,
0: and the trade on that, Ron, is uh, the point that you were making to me before the show, Harry, that, yeah, he's got a, a movement, but a movement of how big a part of the party. It may be only 24, 25 percent of the party. That means there's a lot of pie left.
1: Yeah, that means there's a lot of pie left. And I will be honest with you. I think Ron makes a great point, which is I'm not sure that there's really any candidate who could get a majority of the delegates after all the contests are done. But it seems pretty clear to me that Sanders has the clearest path to a clear plurality of the delegates. And let's say he goes into Super yep. Tuesday, right? And let's say the national polls are representative of what might happen. Remember this, that 15% threshold. He'll probably end up with about 40% of the delegates on Super Tuesday. And to me, going forward, as he gets those delegate, big delegate leads, right, and all the contests are proportional, it's going to be very difficult to take that delegate lead away from him. So even if, say, you go into Milwaukee, right, right and he doesn't have a majority of delegates, I can't believe the Democratic Party is going to take away the nomination of someone who, say, has 40 or 45% of the delegates.
0: Boy, oh boy tell you one thing we know for sure. If that's how we go in, what a convention that is going to be. Ron Brownstein, thank you. I know you're busy. Ooh. Harry Anton, you're not as busy, but thank you for being here. Hey. Now, veteran newsman Sam Donaldson is taking fire. Here's the question. Did Sam cross an uncrossable line by backing Bloomberg? He knew this question was coming. He has an answer and an argument to be tested. Next. The stakes are so high in this election that people, some people who see the idea of a second term of President Trump so threatening that they are willing to go to extremes. In fact, we have a man about to join us who is going somewhere that no journalist has ever really gone, especially. And here's the qualifier. A high profile, highly respected, highly known journalist like my friend, ABC News colleague and my mentor, the venerable Sam Donaldson. Welcome, sir. You hear me, Sam? Mm-hmm. The old I can't hear you trick. All right, we can't hear him right now. Here's no. what we'll do. Oh, Sam, can you hear me or no? Sam, can you hear All right, let's get, Sam, let's get Sam's mic working. I'll take a break. We'll do it on the other side. Now, now, I, now, now I you hear me? You hear me? All right. Now I hear you, Chris. Boy, you that been? was that was a clever <laughs> was filibuster. You. you taught me that trick when I was anchoring with you many years ago. The old <laughs> I can't oh hear you trick, huh? <laughs> well, that's going to get <laughs> right. you nowhere. Your friend. Right. So, Sam, uh, so let's, what did you ask me? I'll give you an answer. Take a guess. Uh, look, you knew this question was coming. You knew that you were doing something I controversial so. as being a respected newsman and journalist going all what? over and working with a, a campaign. You knew it would get criticized. You did it anyway. Why?
2: Well, you know, Britt Hume, a good friend of mine, I hope he still is, said the other day, I never thought I'd see this when he saw that I'd done what I've done, which is to sign on as an unpaid volunteer to work in the sense of trying to elect the Mike Bloomberg, the president of the United States. Well, Britt, I never thought I was going to do anything like this either. I retired from the news business, 52 years in Washington, never did, and never gave any money, not a member of a party. And I went home to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and sat around. But I believe, uh, this is melodramatic, Chris, this is the most important election since the Civil War, and one on which the country's future, whether we maintain the values, we maintain the kind of freedoms that we've enjoyed to maintain the constitutional freedoms that we have, will either continue to have or not. So I'm sitting around saying, now I'm out of the fray, but why don't I let the next door neighbor do it? Why, why the guy down in the street? After all, maybe my colleagues, uh, former colleagues in the news business think I'm some big shot that should maintain in my cathedral the credibility of them. Yes. I'm not there yet. I mean, I'm not there anymore. I'm me. I'm a private citizen and I'm going to work hard for Bloomberg because I think he's best suited to beat Donald Trump and would make a very good president. I get the conscience, but then That's you it. have
0: the aspect of the conscientiousness of it as a journalist. You didn't have to join the camp. Are oh, you gone again? Every time I say I something, can't hear you can't him. hear me. Can, you can't hear him. You want to put, open the phone for him so he can hear it. Can we get it so he can hear it? All right. Let me take a break. we got to do this the right way, because otherwise it's not going to be fair to Sam. It's not going to be fair to the issues. Take a quick break. Come right back and find out why Sam had to do it this way. Could have just argued what he thinks is right. Join the campaign. Why? Next. All right. We're back with Sam Donaldson. Sam, uh, the audience heard your argument. Um, The counter to your argument is this. You could do everything you say you need to do, but you didn't have to join the campaign, even as an unpaid volunteer. You could have kept your credential as a former journalist. You could have argued the facts and what you think is right and stayed out of the campaign and spared this apparent conflict of ethics.
2: Yeah, I guess I could. I could have gone down to the street corner in Albuquerque and tried to get a crowd to listen to my message for Bloomberg. But I thought... It's not easier if the Bloomberg people get a crowd and say, hey, these guys say they want to hear you. we got four or five hundred people or whatever it is. Go talk to him. Sam Uh, Donaldson gets his own crowd
0: on TV. You're on this show right now because you're Uh, Sam uh, Donaldson, uh, uh. not because you're a surrogate for Bloomberg. You're going to get your time on TV. People want to hear what you have to say now.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Well, well, would you do it differently
0: if you could do it again?
2: Oh, no. You mean when I go back now, I've heard a little criticism about my uh, having done what I've done. And and, and send the word to the Bloomberg people, no, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I I made a mistake. No, that's not, I didn't make a mistake. And the journalists Uh, who say, Sam, you're killing us.
0: They always say we're on the left. They always say that we're for candidates and we're partisan and we hide it. Now
2: you're giving them reason to say it's true about all of us. I'm killing them? Listen to me, my good friend. And I'm not asking you to confess anything. But if you think reporters in Washington or anyplace else have no idea what's going on, I don't know. uh, I mean, should this health care plan? I don't know. uh, Because if I had an idea uh, and I kept it secret and then someday they found it out, oh, you have betrayed journalism. That is nonsense. Everybody worth his salt in this country and has been following things knows what's going on and has made up their mind differently. That's true. That's what makes an argument, a horse race and a political season but to think that somehow, because if I just not, if I'd come on your program, and I think I did before i signed you on did. with Bloomberg and said, you know, I think this guy, I think this guy uh, may be the guy and I, I, I think he's got good, then I'd be okay. But once I say, and yes, I say it again, I am an unpaid volunteer with the Bloomberg campaign. You should know that and you can weigh my view against that if you want, of course. All right. It's it's the same thing. My my view's the same. All right. We've
0: handled your decision and how you argue it. Good. Now the decision that you made uh, and the person that you say is the right choice. So uh, Bloomberg is on the stage tonight. Uh, He's taking some hits. Why do you believe that he is better than a Bernie Sanders, a Joe Biden, a Buttigieg, a Klobuchar just because he's rich?
2: No, not because he's rich at all because I think he's very solid. I think he's run this city of New York pretty well, has that kind of record. And I think he, by making that great empire of his, with all that money, legally and ethically, shows that his determination can get it done. I really do. Look, on on that stage tonight in Nevada, early in the debate, they all took a shot at Bloomberg. Of course, they have to try to take him down. You know, someone painted him to the left just a little bit to the left of, of George Corley Wallace standing in the schoolhouse door against minorities. Someone else brought up women and said, Well, he's not, they didn't say it in so many words, but they painted him as just not quite as bad as Harvey Weinstein. And somebody else pointed him as a big, bloated, they called him arrogant billionaire. Then, it was interesting, Chris, they turned on themselves. And the last that I saw it, they were savagely knowing that the real problem was someone is going to have to stand up to Bloomberg, I think it's probably going to be Bernie. Well, what I do think you I think it happens? If you go Not to the because- convention and it's a brokered
0: convention, what they used to call a brokered convention, and you have Bernie Sanders who's got a real movement behind him and a plurality of the delegates, hypothetically, how does that party come together when Bloomberg and he are like oil and water?
2: That is a very good question and very difficult. I watched in 19... 19- Sixty-eight, um, McCarthy, Senator McCarthy, take his very passionate people, like the passionate people for Bernie Sanders, away from that convention in Chicago. We all got tear gassed and they didn't work for Hubert Humphrey. They weren't going to do that. Their man had lost and Hubert Humphrey lost. And we have Richard Nixon. Thank you very much. Now, this is all logical. And I know we're talking emotion. How could we get Sanders people, his army, the bros to back Michael Bloomberg or anyone else, for that matter, it's not just Bloomberg. They feel that way about Pete. They feel the way you heard what, uh, Joe Biden certainly. I think it's a big question, but I think at the end it's going to be Sanders versus Bloomberg at the convention. And the one thing that could bring the party together is who can beat Donald J. Trump. And I think it's going away, Bloomberg. Well, I'll tell you, what I'm, it- I'm just an unpaid volunteer for Bloomberg, folks. I don't want you to forget that. I understand. Look, it's not the unpaid part, Sam.
0: It's just being part of the campaign that certainly raised a lot of hackles. But I respect you owning it and giving your answer here on the show. And you are welcome always to argue the case for Bloomberg or for anything else.
2: Only if you invite me. I can't handle the gatecrashers anymore, so I have to have an invitation. You will be invited. Just don't try that (laughs) IFB trick again. Sam. That is an old
0: trick. The I can't hear the tough (laughs) question thing. Be well, Sam Donaldson. Thank you. All right. Closing argument is coming up, and that's that people should stop saying that Trump is normalizing corruption with his recent acts, accented by these pardons. You are missing the reality. I argue it next. All right, first part of the argument is that we should agree with the obvious. This is corruption. I've
1: got this thing, and... And I'm just not giving it
0: up for nothing. That is the signature sound of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Former because he was impeached 114 to 1 for talking about the Senate seat that used to belong to Barack Obama as a commodity. Profanities aside, is it so different from I would like you to do us a favor, though, and everything that came after it? And when a lot of you then heard Blagojevich and the other powerful and political figures who were either freed or forgiven by Trump. The media screamed and so many of you echoed, Trump is trying to normalize corruption. No, he isn't. I argue Trump absolutely thinks corruption is already normal. He's not trying to make it into anything. He believes it is that already something to be played to advantage the same way he played so many of you with this idea. Do you want America to be ruled by the
4: corrupt political class or do you want America to be ruled again
0: by the people? He had to read most of that. And then Pence, the great echo, intoned the following echo.
2: The American people are sick and tired of pay to play politics in Washington, D.C. And Donald Trump and I are going to bring it to a crashing halt.
0: I argue Trump has done only the opposite. He asked Russia to interfere in our elections. Now, Assange is saying he was promised a pardon if he said Russia wasn't behind it. Now, I don't know that we should believe Assange, but you know who did? Donald Trump. Remember, Trump said when he was after corruption with Ukraine and then he tried to blackmail its president. Stone, convicted of lying about his efforts to mess with corrupt foreign players to help who? Trump. His campaign was cited for attempting to do the same thing. The list goes on and on. Why? Because this is who Trump is. More proof? Remember what he said about Blagojevich back in August? Here it is. He's been in jail over a phone call where nothing happens. I would think that there have been many politicians, I'm not one of them, by the way, that have said a lot worse over the telephone. For the record, the call was the crime. See, the fact that you don't complete a bribe doesn't make it okay. And the reason he didn't complete it is because he got caught. See, Trump sees that, I argue, as no big deal because he did the same thing. He wouldn't say anything like that over the phone. He was impeached for doing the same thing, attempting a bribe. But I also argue that Trump is not trying to get you to see abnormal things as normal. He actually sees things like corruption, obstruction of justice, perjury, tax fraud, even bribery as part of the game. And it's only wrong... If you get caught, maybe. So he grants clemency to about three dozen people. And they have overwhelmingly been people with a direct line to the White House or who served as political chits. Carrick, Milken, de D'Souza. What's the big difference between them and Trump? You know what the one thing is? Trump can't be prosecuted, at least not right now. In fact, his party has made it clear he can do whatever he wants. So Is someone guilty of normalizing the abnormal? Yes, but it's not Trump. It's the GOP. Here's Exhibit A. I'm saying, Mr. President,
1: the phone call was okay with me. Exhibit B. You really think he was serious about thinking that China's going to investigate the Biden family? Exhibit C. Because Russia interfered the media pretends nobody else did.
0: All the main gop peers are willing to blame the scrutiny of Trump on anything but the obvious. Listen to this.
4: Because you just don't like the guy. You haven't liked him since November of 2016.
0: No, he's got it backwards. You guys are the ones who didn't like him back then. Cruz without the beard. Graham basically called Trump thoroughly corrupt when they were campaigning, and worse. Your whole field and their elected friends called him a cheat and a fraud and promised that Donald Trump would bring disrespect to the office. So what changed? Trump hasn't. Not a bit. What changed is the party is now feeding off the teat of fealty. I argue the GOP is no longer grand. The mighty pachyderm is packing it in. In fact, Trump is not a member of the GOP. You are all now part of the Trump organization. You sound more like representatives of his failed casinos than people elected to check his power. That is my argument. Thank you very much for watching. It is time now for CNN Tonight
1: with D. Lemon.